Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Something else that I want us to focus on, and it is the gut being our second brain. And you would think we know everything we need to know around some of these health issues. But no, there's always something absolutely new to find out. And uh, I'm really, really excited about my next guest who's going to take us through why it is that we can officially now call the gut our second brain. Uh, Professor Anwar Mal is an emeritus professor of the University of Cape Town joining us on the line. Very good afternoon and thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon, Prof. Hi, good afternoon to you and your listeners, and it's a pleasure to be here. We actually are sitting back. We've got our little notebooks. We've also got our little pens, (laughs) (laughs) and we are actually looking forward to this wonderful lecture that you're going to give us. Can we maybe start at the very, very basic levels of telling us exactly what the gut is? So take us through the parameters of where the gut actually sits. Okay. Uh, but but just before that, you know, you made a statement about your excitement about the administration of the vaccines, mm. and I think we we should we should share with the listeners uh, a tribute to what science has achieved. Mm. That we got this vaccine mm. in just a year, mm. and there's so many different versions of it, mm. and it's here to help humanity. Mm. And I think the public needs to realize what an important role scientists and science mm. play in mm. our lives. Mm. But I, I couldn't have said it better myself, Prof. And I think it's not always going to be perfect, right? It's it's not going to be perfect, no. but it is a moment to reckon with. Of it course. really is. Exactly. Um, and as, as science evolves, mm. we mm. need to be able to acknowledge some feet. And this is one of those. Of course. It's one of those, and right now I think there's a there's going to be a robot that's about to land on Mars. Mm-hmm. These things are happening mm-hmm. all the time, mm. and I think we need to take an interest in in them because they influence our lives. Absolutely. But Let me ask you before you actually answer the question, because now we're here. Yeah, Prof, yeah, yeah. Your your interest in this this health science. Yeah. Talk to me about your interest. When did it start? Where, when did you realize this is the kind of line of work I want to get into? Well, you know, I, I did a, a BSc in physiology and biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And I was brought to the University of Cape Town by two people, um, Professor Vilan Hevers and Professor Rosemary Hickman, mm-hmm. who were... Professor Hickman was a surgeon, and she used to study stomach ulcers. Mm. Professor Rivers was very interested in how come the stomach doesn't digest itself when it secretes so much acid. Mm. Because if you took a drop of that acid at the height of your digestion Mm -hmm. and put it on your skin, it'll burn a hole through your skin. So why doesn't it burn a hole through the stomach wall every time you produce acid after having a meal? And so the answer at that stage, and you must remember science evolves, as you say. Mm. The answer at that stage was that there's a wonderful, very thin, but very effective mucus barrier Mm -hmm. that runs from your mouth to the anus, Mm -hmm. right? And usually, textbooks said that that barrier is for lubrication Mm -hmm. uh, and the movement of food Mm -hmm. and and, and that kind of thing. But it was far more important than that. It protected the wall of the gut. You know, imagine the pressure when, you, when you're when emptying your bowels. Imagine those hard fecal pellets 
sliding through the gut and not tearing your gut apart. So, oh. Prof, the, the, that wall that you're referring to now, yeah. the, 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 the lining that you're talking about, yeah. is it the one that was dis- uh, excreting these acids or does it have another chemical that protects the actual stomach? from? And what chemical is that? Okay, so that's a good question. Your stomach wall, let's just focus on the stomach. Mm-hmm. Your stomach wall is made of many different kinds of cells. Mm-hmm. Some secrete pepsin, some mm-hmm. secrete acid and some secrete mucin, which Mm -hmm. is mucus glycoprotein. Mm -hmm. Now that mucus glycoprotein forms this gel on the lining of the stomach to protect the stomach against acid backflow Mm -hmm. into the stomach and then hitting against the wall and causing an ulceration. Mm -hmm. That that was the view, you see? Mm -hmm. So different cells produce different things and they all form a complex structure Mm. on the wall of your stomach and those things that are secreted are secreted inside into the lumen, into the cavity of your stomach. Mm-hmm. And that's where your food is digested. Mm-hmm. And the activity, the activity is so intense. There's muscular movement, mm-hmm. contraction, relaxation. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a very potent acid there. Mm-hmm. And then there's an enzyme digesting your food. Mm-hmm. Now imagine you had a piece of hard steak. Yeah. And when it leaves your stomach, it's completely fluid. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. crushed to bits. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in your stomach. And what we don't appreciate is it happens three or four times a day after a yes, meal. Yes. And we don't even know it's happening. Mm. But it's like a tumble dryer mm. in there. <laughs> so so it, the, the body is, is absolutely fantastic. Mm. So they have all these questions been around it. Now, to answer your question is, Professor Givers' question was, why doesn't the stomach wall digest itself mm, mm. and he believed that this mucus layer played a very important role mm-hmm. so he invited me to UCT and that's where my career at UCT started wow. Wow. and it lasted for almost 40 <laughs> years and it's been quite a roller coaster ride but it's been absolutely fantastic and now we've moved somewhat from from that analysis and that study to where we are now absolutely almost certain that we want to call the gut a second brain that's right. I mean, I mean, you've put it brilliantly. And along the way, along the way in the 1980s, you remember the story I'm telling you mm-hmm. was the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. Mm-hmm. Along the way in the 1980s, two Australians discovered that ulcers are caused by bacterium, mm-hmm. Helicobacter pylori. Mm-hmm. So we moved on to that. And then people who presented with ulcers didn't need to have surgery. They used to get antibiotics, mm. clear the helicobacter, and the ulcer was cured. So, so that was another fascinating step. But then in 1996, this man, Michael Gershon of Columbia University, wrote a book called The Second Brain, mm. Why the Gut is the Second Brain. And then he went on to answer that question. Mm. And today, as we speak, we talk about the gut-brain axis. So the brain and the gut work together in hand, in tandem. The brain is your first brain. The gut is your second brain. When we discovered the antibi- uh, antibiotics could do the work yeah. Um, yeah. for the ulcers, yeah. at some point there was also a time when the probiotic was the big discovery. Yes, the probiotic is a big discovery. I'm not an expert in that area, mm-hmm. but it becomes relevant when we're talking about 
the microbiota, mm-hmm. the bacteria, the, the good bacteria. Now, that, that dis- is distinguished from the bad bacteria which cause ulcers. Mm-hmm. Then there are other bacteria like E. coli. Mm-hmm. Some can be harmful, some can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. But now, there's been a, it's not a new discovery. Mm-hmm. The work's been going on for about 200 years, sure. but it stopped and started, stopped and started. And then in about 2008, somebody sampled these bacteria mm. and got a shock of their lives when they realized that there are more bacteria in you mm. than your own cells. Mm. Because bacteria themselves are cells, right? Sure. There's more bacteria in you. That means you are more bacterium than human. <laughs> <laughs> and they were living in harmony, in a mm. symbiotic mm. relationship mm. With, 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 with us. And, 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 and even more interesting is that in my career, it's made around about turn because mucus has become very important again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so w- as, we, as we progress, I'll, I'll sort of, we'll sort of talk about it. But I think we need to start at the basics of why it's considered to be uh, a second brain, why the gut is considered to be a second brain. At that point, I'm going to ask us to pause, Professor Mao, and uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back with that particular point and also take your questions on 011. 011- Seven one four two zero zero six. If you like, also you can send us a WhatsApp on oh six one four one zero four one zero seven. What are we discussing today? The gut being the second brain. Life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Professor Anwar Mal is Emeritus Professor of the University of Cape Town. We're discussing the gut being the second brain, and that's where we took a break. And, um, Prof, you were still trying to define and explain to us why is it that we are calling the gut the second brain. Okay, so that's a, a bit of a long answer. Yes. So, if you know, initially you asked me, so just, just describe the gut to me. So that tube that runs from the mouth to the anus, mm-hmm. right, is the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Conventionally, the gut is the lower part, you know, the bowel region. Mm -hmm. They call that the gut. But you can call the entire tract from the mouth to Mm -hmm. the anus the gut. Mm -hmm. So for purposes of this discussion, when I say gut, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the whole thing. Got you. Okay. So now imagine you put a piece of hard steak in your mouth. Mm -hmm. It travels right through um, until the small intestine where the food is eventually absorbed the mm-hmm. nutrients are absorbed mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll explain how and then eventually the wastes are expelled through mm-hmm. the anus right mm-hmm. so 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 that piece of steak meets so many organs along the way mm-hmm. it meets the mouth it goes down the esophagus it gets into the stomach the liver has a role in it the pancreas has a role in it they secrete something it comes into the duodenum the small intestine the large intestine the rectum and the anus, right? Mm-hmm. So along the way, each one of those organs have a very, very different environment. Mm-hmm. But they're all working together in the system, the gut. Those organs are working together in the system with one aim in mind, is to, is to extract from that piece of steak your nutrients. Mm-hmm. That means to break it down mm-hmm. to its basic, basic parts, mm-hmm. So you're breaking down protein, lipid, nucleic acids, all those things. You're breaking them down, and then you're absorbing them into your bloodstream, Mm -hmm. okay? And the rest is left as waste. Mm -hmm. Now, it gets into the blood 
for two purposes, to give you energy and to re reconstruct parts of your body that might need repair from injury. You see, you, you don't know, you might lose a few liver cells along the way and they need reconstruction. And in fact, in fact, Prof, yeah. there's, a, there's a, a, a message that's just come through from an anonymous who yeah. says, and I think it's related to what you've just said, they're saying that the other day they took a laxative yeah. and it drained out all my excess bile as well as suddenly and, 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 and suddenly I felt no pain from inflammation. So you're saying it's also possible that while the body does its work, sometimes along the way you can get other little materials from your body that, that can pass um, through as well. Yes, you can. And, and you don't know whether they're beneficial or not. Oh, yes. But then I'm, I'm also talking about, say, inside your body. You, you must remember. Your own. Yeah, your own system. Because yes. remember, this pathway we're talking about from the mouth to the anus yes. is considered to be external, yeah. not internal. Because it's in contact with air on both Got ends, you. right? Yes. But say your liver was injured. Yes. Uh, and then it needed more material. It needed some lipid. It needed some protein to reconstruct itself. Mm -hmm. So this is what. These building blocks are reconstructed there and actually uh, help in repair. So, and then you need energy. The very fact that you're talking to me, that your brain is functioning, that your, your muscles are functioning, your facial muscles that you're talking to me, the parts of your brain that are listening need energy. Prop, all prop, that is provided by the food. Can I pause you for one second? Yeah. I, don't, I know you're not going to mind this because it's a science as well. Yeah. So yeah. We, we're going to cross to Sofa Mugwena, who is our foreign desk editor at the SABC, who is at the moment in Kailicha, where the president is getting his vaccine. Let's just go there now. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. We go back to our conversation with the Professor Anwar Mal, who is Emeritus Professor of the University of Cape Town, and we're discussing the gut being the second brain. Prof, thank you so much for your patience and welcome sure, back. Sure. Right. So we were at the point where we said that the nutrients, mm -hmm. the, benefit, the, the, the beneficial nutrients from that piece of steak are now broken down and absorbed into your bloodstream for repair and energy. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about energy, we're sending, we're sending glucose to the liver and to the muscles and to other parts of the body where they convert it into a right form of energy mm -hmm. so the body can function. Mm -hmm. right. Now, very importantly, people like Michael Gershon, they realize that heart muscle your heart beats all the time. Your brain is working all the time, mm -hmm. whether you're thinking passively or actively. And they wondered, how come, um, you know, we know the, the brain is the seat of the body and mm -hmm. it has connections with every part of the body. Mm -hmm. How come the brain manages to actually monitor the gut, which is so huge and plays such an important role in providing both the brain and the rest of the body with energy. Mm -hmm. So another interesting feature was a lot of people who had ulcers that you couldn't cure mm -hmm. in the old days. Mm -hmm. There is a connection between the brain and the gut called the vagus nerve. And that was at that time thought to secrete acid and, and people thought that the acid was causing the ulcer. So what they used to do is they used to cut off the vagus in these patients. 
thinking that by lessening the acid secretion into the stomach, you are then protecting them from ulceration. And the surprise finding with that was that it didn't affect the gut at all. The gut carried on functioning without any direct communication with the brain. So, so Prof, just reiterate that again. Okay. So, the brain mm-hmm. is the seat of the body and sure. it's got connections, mm-hmm. right? The brain and the spinal cord have connections with every organ in the body, right? Mm-hmm. So, right to the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, now, um, there was a time when you had what you call a type of ulcer that you couldn't treat. Mm-hmm. And so people used to have to undergo surgery and cut off part of the stomach where mm. the ulcer was. Mm. Now that was big surgery. Mm. Then somebody else thought, if acid is causing the ulcer, mm-hmm. let's really reduce the acid supply mm-hmm. in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And the acid supply was under the control of the vagus nerve from the brain. Mm-hmm. What would happen if we cut off the vagus nerve mm. and left the gut by itself, separate from the influence of the brain? Mm-hmm and nothing really happened, the gut carried on functioning. <laughs> so they found that oh, that is amazing, that this organ can go, that this system can go on functioning without any direct mm. communication with the brain. Mm. Then the other question was... So, so, so let me ask before you, you move yeah. ahead, yeah. did that though interrupt the acid flow into it the stomach? It, it, it reduced it. It reduced it. Somewhat, but it still continued to function. Yes, because remember, that's a good thing because you need the acid sure, to heal all the bacteria that's yes, coming into the yes. stomach. Yeah. So, I mean, was it a significant reduction or not really? It was, a, it was a significant reduction, but it didn't really, really cure ulcers. I got you. Okay. So, so which, which was telling us something else, as you said, reiterating the fact that the gut was very independent in how it's functioning. That's right. Of the brain. Of the brain. Yeah. So that was one thing. And then there was the other property of the gut, which is called peristalsis. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a pressure-induced propulsive activity. That means when you put that food into your mouth, mm-hmm. your gut has to ensure that that food heads only in one direction. Yes. That is towards <laughs> the, the other end. Okay? Yes. And yes. so there's these waves of relaxation and, and contraction of the gut that ensures that that food moves in that direction, mm, all right? Mm, mm. They call it peristalsis. What was amazing about it is, I'm, I'm not going to go through the steps, I'll come straight mm. to the point, that researchers who cut off a piece of the gut and left it on the table mm-hmm. found that that peristalsis continued. So it wasn't in connection with the brain, it wasn't in connection with the body anymore, but it still had propulsive activity. Mm-hmm. So that shows the independence of the gut. Mm. So those two observations were extremely important. And then further investigation by researchers found that the gut has a fantastic nerve supply. Mm -hmm. All organs do, but the gut's nerve supply became something quite independent. They called it the enteric. Enteric means cavity. Mm -hmm. The enteric nervous system. So now in the, in the ordinary language and in scientific language, you're already talking about another nervous system mm-hmm. besides the brain and the spinal cord. Got you. Okay. So as it evolves... As sensitive and as intense. That's right. Got you. But then, you know, if you look at the gut and you look at the brain, 
they look so different mm. than, you know. Mm. And the people are wondering that, look, the brain, the brain produces sonnets, the brain produces poetry, literature. <laughs> what does the gut produce? Hard fecal pellets. <laughs> so so, so that, was, that was an important question. Yes. But this man, Michael Gershon, who wrote this book, he went and did some fantastic studies. He went to Oxford from Columbia, and he did some fantastic, very detailed studies of the gut wall. Mm -hmm. And he found there that there were cells that secreted serotonin. Now, serotonin is a neurotransmitter in the brain. And serotonin is called your happiness neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. If you don't get enough of it, they give you Prozac. Mm -hmm. So, you know what, eventually, and because of shortage of time, I'm going to get to the point, 90% of the serotonin in your body resides in the wow. gut, not in the brain. Wow. Wow. So now you're coming closer to actually giving the brain a very high status. Okay. But then, you know, there's still some questions like, say, your feelings. Mm. Where do your feelings come from? You know, like you, 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 you fell in love mm. or, you know, you had a different kind of feeling. You had say a naughty feeling that mm. you said hey you know what mm. uh, I like my best friend's uh, partner and uh, you start thinking about it say oh what what's going to happen you think of all the possible scenarios your best friend will hate you or she'll forgive you or this or that or that will happen but as you're thinking of those scenarios when you think of the bad ones that you'd lose your best friend for being for cheating on her you get the feeling in your gut. I was actually going to ask you because it is what we refer to as nervous feeling. energy, as as that gut feeling that you're talking about, yeah. where you just don't you know something that you don't really know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it comes yeah. from the gut, yeah. and is that because of the serotonin? They think that the gut microbes, the microbiota that we're going to talk about just now, does help. Mm -hmm. They haven't completely worked out the factors, mm -hmm. but they did say recently that when, when you're falling in love or you have something, an experience like that, which is really, really exciting, you say, I've got butterflies in my stomach. This the scientists is the are saying, no, no, it's not butterflies. It's your bacteria. Your bacteria are talking to you. <laughs> I'm going to pause it there for a minute, Prof, okay. because I think that's the bit that actually gets us all uh, very interested now. We are going to take those calls. As I said, I'm going to take those calls. And I also see your voice notes coming through. I'm going to do that in a short while. But let me take a quick break and I'll be back with more. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, we continue our conversation with Professor Anwar Mal, who is Emeritus Professor at the University of Cape Town. We're talking about the gut being the second brain. Uh, the second brain. Prof, let's just take some voice notes. There's a voice note coming through for you. Uh, good, af good afternoon, Pimelo. My name is Mazarin Bushbakridge. I want to ask the doctor, what's the effect of eating uh, cold food like me i don't like eating hot food i usually wait for it to cool down before i can eat it sometimes like like uh, porridge i don't eat it while it's hot i rather eat it tomorrow morning so i want to ask the doctor the effect of waiting for food to cool down before you eat it this is my very Interesting question, Prof. How temperature affects the, the, the workings of the gut? Okay, 
So, you know, your whole body is at a, at a, at a temperature of 37 degrees, mm. right? But we consume uh, hot, but not very hot. We, we don't want to burn. <laughs> it's not boiling point, yeah, yes. It's not boiling hot. Hot that we can accommodate and cold that we can accommodate. The cold Coke you have on a, on a very hot day to cool you down doesn't really in any way, and this is the beauty of the body, that it's tough. It's made of this material, protein, lipid, that kind of material, and it's absolutely, it's tough. And look, you go through a life of at least three score and ten years, if you look at it through the biblical, uh, from the biblical view, mm-hmm. and you, you, you eat all kinds of things. Mm. And the processes in your gut are so beautifully regulated and so precise that once your food gets down there, it comes, it, it probably gets to a reasonable temperature. Mm-hmm. And in your stomach and wherever, uh, whatever happens, it goes through all those processes without causing any da- any damage. Look, there's always the possibility of mechanical damage I when something is moving say. through your... Mm. But again, the body repairs itself very fast. And how and why? It's because the food that you've eaten provides it with the energy and the raw material to repair continuously. Now, there's a very nice analogy to this. People say when you're flying in an aeroplane and the wing breaks, Mm -hmm. you can't fix it while you're flying. But our bodies are fantastic. While you're living, they repair. Mm. While you're going about your business, they repair. And and, and, and thank heaven that that's the case. Or else, or else there would be <laughs> We'd very, be stopping be and starting all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Prof, let's go back to the butterfly feeling. So is it the – you spoke to us about a, a few things that happen in, in, in the gut. And when we speak about the gut now with you, we're speaking about from the mouth all the way to the anus. Yeah. And is it the relaxation of the muscles, you spoke about that, that gives us that sometimes what we call butterfly feeling? Is it the serotonin at work? What happens? Because physiologically something actually does happen. And sometimes you kind of get what, what feels like a diarrhea. In fact, you do because yeah. you're nervous yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so you, firstly, you distinguish between bad feelings and good feelings. Mm-hmm. When you when you have bad feelings, yes, they, you know you 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 feel bad in the gut. You feel tense. You are so- you saying before you? Are you saying the gut can feel good and bad feelings? It's not just a feeling. It can distinguish good and bad feelings. Well, well, well. I would say yes. that that falling in love gives you a feeling that's very different from just about the time you're entering an exam room to write an exam. Yes. Two completely different feelings. But but I'm saying, are you saying that physiologically, even in the gut, there is a distinction there? Well, that, that, that's, that's what the work is showing. Ah. That, that's where you actually feel it. Ah. So the distinction must be being made there with the help of the brain. Ah. I'm not cutting the brain out completely, <laughs> but you are getting that feeling yes. in the gut and not in the brain. My and you word. know you've got serotonin there. You know you've got microbes there that might be secreting different kinds of substances under different circumstances which will produce different kinds of effects. So, so I know that for me, a good feeling, right? Yeah. What it does physiologically to me and yeah. for me, yeah. I completely lose appetite. So it's the kind of feeling I want to have all the time yeah, so exciting. that I can look also nice and thin, right? Yeah. But, I <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also know, as you said, 
a tense feeling, yeah. sometimes you kind of get the cravings, if that makes any sense. Well, you know, in different sometimes. people, it's yes, different. Yes, it's different things. Yeah, it's different. So but but take, take irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. You take a person with irritable bowel syndrome who keeps going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor sends, eventually sends the patient to a specialist who gives you a scope and looks right through your gut from mm-hmm. the top and the bottom mm-hmm. and says there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Yes. Uh, your gut is perfect and I think you're pretending. But that, so that person is very real. They hear bad news and they want to run to the toilet. They've got no control. There are children who, before an exam or a test, really actually have a really bad stomach. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, so, so what, you, what you have to do is, you, you have to understand that you don't have to see a physical injury to say this person is having a problem. Even in, in, even in the case of somebody who has an intact gut, there are these factors at play. And now we know that there's a first brain, there's a second brain, there's an interaction of factors, although we, we're saying that the second brain can be quite independent of the first brain. So then, Prof, that being the case, and now you've just given us a whole outline of how that works, yeah. when it comes to treating it, do you then treat the psychology or the, physio- the actual enzymes in the gut? Right. So a lot of people with irritable bowel syndrome go and see somebody who can help them, a a psychologist or psychiatrist Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you know what's fascinating here? To to, to put this question into its proper context, that they are psychiatrists Mm -hmm. who are looking at the gut. Got you. I get it. That is how the shift is taking place. I love that, yeah. And, 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 And the beauty of it is, the point I want to make is, in my lifetime, when I was at university, mm-hmm. I learned about the functions of the gut, which mm-hmm. is a physiology, mm-hmm. and how it breaks down food, like I explained to you, mm-hmm. and the anatomy of the gut, what it's made of, and mm-hmm. these are the muscles, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. There's this major shift where, at one time, we thought that if you had a mental problem, mm-hmm. and, and it's, I'm sorry I put it, I'm putting it down in such a crude way, mm-hmm. you go and see a counselor, a therapist, or, a or whatever. Yes, yes. But now there's neuroscientists and psychiatrists who are actually trying to include the gut and its functions <laughs> in their investigations of mental health. Ah, oh, this is absolutely amazing. Let's take a call. Yeah. Um, Vulani, you're calling from Pretoria. Good afternoon. Good afternoon into the prof. How are you? Hello, hello, Vulani. I'm good. I'd like to know what causes the acid reflux, especially after eating some hot stuff as a result, one is taking a little bit of time to take a time out from chili. What causes acid reflux in the gut? Because at times, terrible pain mm-hmm. without uh, getting relief from the medication. Thank you, okay. Fulani. So, so, Prof, I suppose the question is, can we push it too far? Even if it's that amazing, can we push the enzymes in the body too far? You can push any organ too far. Yeah. You can over-exercise and hurt your muscles instead of developing them. Mm-hmm. So the principle is the same. Mm-hmm. But, but Vulani, I, I must tell you, uh, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I do know something about acid reflux. So I will, I'm a scientist, I'm a medical scientist. But, but what, a very interesting point again, and you know, it's always very important, and this is what I told my students, always go to the basics. Don't get overwhelmed by a question. Now, we said earlier that that food goes one way. 
and that is from the mouth towards the anus, right? Now, when it enters the stomach, and when it's digested there, that stomach has to be closed to the top and closed to the bottom because you want to keep that food there until you've digested it and made it entirely fluid. You call it chyme, okay? And so you've got a muscle at the oesophageal-gastric junction that shuts off once your food is gone into your stomach. And you've got a muscle, you call them sphincters, that's at the junction of the stomach and the, and the duodenum. So those two close. Now, as you grow older, those muscles weaken, those sphincters weaken. So when you take in food and it gets into your stomach, then sometimes it can flow back if that, if that sphincter is not strong enough. Mm-hmm. So that is reflux. Mm-hmm. Now imagine, you know, it's an amazing thing. You've got acid in your stomach and now you're sending it up in the wrong direction into the esophagus. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's, it's a nightmare because it burns and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Others don't feel it. Others don't feel it. That's the amazing thing. We all have individual reactions to it. But it's, 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 it's bile reflux. You, you, you call it bile reflux because you've also got bile in your stomach mm-hmm. that's coming from your liver and your gallbladder. Mm-hmm. The reflux of all that material can cause a lot of discomfort. And especially when you eat food that doesn't agree with you. Mm-hmm. In his case, spicy food it doesn't mm-hmm. agree with him. Mm-hmm. So he feels that effect. Mm-hmm. Fulani, thank you there for that question. A voice note coming through, Prof. Hi, Pimelo. This is Sialukhani from Soweto. Can you please ask the prof, what is this thing? I don't know what it is called in English, but I think in Tosa it's inimba. Um, when a mother loses their child, even when they are not with the child, they have this, this pull in their gut. What is that called? And... Is there a scientific scientific explanation to it? Thanks. Prof, she's Bye. Ref- Prof, sorry about that. Prof, she's referring to a, the gut feeling, that very yeah, strong, feeling. intense like, feeling when something possibly right. goes wrong. I was just going to say, yeah. you know, you, there's a variety of feelings mm. that cause these effects in, in the gut. Mm. And she's having an experience of one of them, or her friend is having an experience mm. of one of them. Mm. Yeah. So, and and you saying we we're still not quite sure what actually is responsible for that. Well, oh yes, you see, as I was saying, as we're beginning to learn more about mm. these microorganisms uh, in in the gut, we begin to learn what they make, what they secrete, mm. the substances they secrete under different circumstances. Uh, those things cause and effect and 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 then we have these feelings but we can't you know this is an ongoing thing Mm -hmm. so we've reached a point where they are saying that these microbiota in your gut are communicating with your brain Mm -hmm. and so there's a pathway from the gut to the brain and back to the gut Mm -hmm. so the first brain and the second brain are working together in harmony to keep us well and alive and giving us warnings when we need warnings that we out of line. Like bile reflux is a kind of warning that, listen, your sphincter is not working properly or certain kind of foods you meant to keep away from, those become very important issues in your life.
So, Prof, I've actually got a direct translation from somebody who says Nyimba is a bond between mother and child. I get the feeling this is something to do also with the umbilical cord. I could be completely wrong. But is there, do we know what that is? Oh, no, no. The bond is, you know, in, in, you know despite the, the umbilical cord, which is a physical, which was mm -hmm. a physical attachment, mm -hmm. the, the bond between, between you and someone you love. Yes. And I think it's also the same as when twins, even though they may be apart, yes. they would have that, that connection, that there pull. Is, is, yeah. But usually people who are closely related have very strong connection initially. Yes. And as you go out into the world and you make connections with other people, then your partner becomes the most important person to you at some point. So, so, so what so, is that, Prof? <laughs> that's love. Uh, that's love. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes from the gut. <laughs> okay, there's another question here. Okay. Um, someone says, when I eat raw food, yes. I have sweet breath. As soon as I add cooked food, my breath is awful. I don't want to eat only raw food. Any thoughts? No, no, I think it's the components of what you're eating or what you're losing when you cook foods from raw foods that changes the smell of your breath. Um, I, I don't want to say any more about that because uh, I'm not an expert in that area. Okay. Do we have evidence of the gut um, processing cooked food differently to raw food? Well, you know, ultimately, ultimately all foods, whether it's raw or cooked, mm -hmm. contains the main f components of food. You know, you, 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 you know, you're made of cells. So if mm -hmm. you look at a cell, your cell is made up of proteins, lipids, nucleic acids, vitamins, water. You know, most of it is water. All those components are in whatever you eat, if it's edible, of course. Mm -hmm. So whether it's raw or whether it's cooked, you will get all those components. Now, some people feel that you lose mm. nutritional value mm. when you cook and the, you refine food. Yes. There could be some truth to it. But ultimately, you get what you need. You get what you need. Uh, whether you're eating the raw or the cooked food, you do get what you need. All right. Here's another question. Um, can we talk about the vascular ring and how to actually live with it? The what? Sorry, the, I didn't. The vascular ring. I have no idea what a vascular ring is. I don't know what is. that is. No. Okay. I'm well, they, then there there is the vascular ring story, and there's another voice note, Prof. Okay. All right. Um, we are going to ask another question that's just come through. The voice note's not there, and the question is the connection and the correlation between what now we are living with, COVID nineteen, and the gut's reaction to it. Yes. There, there is, there is. You know, just remember that we only a year into COVID nineteen, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. Um, there has been some work on the role of mucus, and and I, and I like to add that to this whole gut brain axis. If your mucus is not good, mm -hmm. then you could run into trouble with your various populations of bacteria mm -hmm. because they reside in the mucus, mm. and the mucus itself provides nutrition for these bacteria. So the food you eat also influences the bacteria. And if the food you eat, you know, if you eat a lot of fiber, if you eat a lot of fruit and vegetables, they benefit your bacteria. Mm -hmm. so, so, 
So in bad times, if you've got a good mucus gel on the layer of your mucosa, your bacteria can feed off the sugars in that mm-hmm. and still survive. Mm. Um, so, 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 so that is uh, extremely important. Uh, so uh, this question, just say it again. Uh, um, are you referring? I was referring to the the vascular ring. We didn't know what the vascular no, we didn't ring know what that is, was. and then yeah. Enough. It's uh, it's fine. I mean, I was asking yeah. what whether COVID nineteen its impact on the gut. Do we know? And you said you know we only a year in, so I suppose yeah, it's not enough. In, but 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 please remember, COVID nineteen is so unpredictable mm-hmm. that in some people it will cause a blood clot that would cause you a stroke. Mm-hmm. In other people, it will cause you gut problems, uh, and in other people, renal problems. Mm. Uh, pulmonary problems, so it's very unpredictable. But there are, there is literature now that the gut is affected in a very bad way, but in certain individuals. Mm. So it seems like it's an individual reaction to this virus. Mm. Prof, there's a quick question here around, uh, can you ask if um, it's advisable or if it's not a good idea to carry on eating hot food or chili food if suffering from piles? Or what impact can they have towards your gut or stomach? Well, you know, the old wives' tale was that piles are caused by chili foods. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, you know, you as an individual can accommodate a certain amount in a certain type of food. Mm-hmm. Some people can eat very strong yes, chili yeah. food and others can't. Mm. But there isn't a medical link between piles and chili food. Really? Yeah. But piles largely, people talk about temperature differences. You know, you're sitting on hard surfaces for too long. Or, or you're sitting for too long, or you're sitting on cold surfaces for too long. There's a whole lot of other ideas, but I haven't come across in literature anything which says that hot food causes piles. But wow. in the Indian community, yes. where curry is a very favorite thing, yes. if somebody has piles, then, then, then the non-doctors will tell you, go slow on the masala, or <laughs> reduce, your, <laughs> reduce your strong food. It, it might... It might be true, we don't know, but it hasn't been scientifically looked at. That has been such, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You've given us such insight. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Professor Anwar Mal, Emeritus Professor of the University of Cape Town. And that will be available as a podcast. It's two o'clock. Let's go to Utsi Lusaku for the latest in SABC News.